Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Laughing Place podcast. We are recording on July 11th. I know it's been a while. It's 7-11. Oh, yeah. Have, have, have a Slurpee on me. Not on me. That's that's weird. Um, does, we'll go around. Does anyone have a favorite frozen Disney treat? Uh, pineapple donut. I So, like, for, like, a hot second, they had this, like, coconut ice cream at epcot oh for like a minute yeah and like maybe a day and we were happened to be there on that day so we we had a teppanado at the japan pavilion and like you don't really get dessert there because you know it's teppanyaki and so like i was like craving something sweet and so i just happened i was like yeah i'll just get like an ice cream here at uh the outpost and it was amazing and next time i was in that same situation like three months later it's gone it was back to the normal vanilla chocolate soft serve, which is so not the same. I wonder if the coconut bits like got caught up in the machine. I don't know. There, there has to be a story there, but it was spectacular, and I'm so sad that most people probably never got to experience it. And unlike Dole Whip, which you can now get many places, I've yet to find that coconut soft serve. So we're gonna. there's been a lot of Pixar in the last couple of weeks, so we're going to talk about that. Um, shameless plug for our Comic-Con coverage, which will begin on Wednesday, and hopefully this podcast will be up before our Comic-Con coverage begins. And we will be doing a post-mortem after Comic-Con, or maybe even during Comic-Con. Who knows? We got time. Um, well, we can't do it during, because then it's not really a post-mortem. Well, you don't know what will happen. Okay. Um, so, that's that's morbid. Um, so, we're going to... And then, we're, for good measure, we're going to throw in a little Ant-Man and the Wasp. A little Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, uh, yeah, see what I did? Accidentally. So, let's go in chronological order to make my life and brain easy. Incredibles 2, which I believe is the biggest Pixar movie ever, biggest Pixar opening ever. I was talking to someone at the office today, and she wanted to take her kid for, like, two, frick, two Ticket Tuesday. And uh, it was sold out, and this is like two weeks after release, at least. And it's 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 a boffo, and it's uh, certified fresh. So, Alex, what do you think of the flick? I, I thought it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. I've I've uh, I just saw it the one time, um, but I had an early preview of of um, about the first act uh, back in uh, April. But I, I really enjoy it. Um, I do have some criticisms of it. I, I don't think I did the review of this one on Laughing Place, but um, I was really shocked that the... Well, sh- I mean, should I spoil anything? Do we assume that everyone listening has seen it? It's the highest grossing animated feature of all time, so I think they've seen it. I yeah, hope you've seen a, it. If a, not, fast forward a, at least. It's a Disney podcast. Yeah. If not, so. fast forward about two minutes. Um so I was I was disappointed that the villain ended up being the like guy who got them back into being heroes again. That that one piece made the whole thing feel like a retread. And other than that, I felt like it all felt very original and fresh and different. Wait a minute, um, the guy didn't wasn't the villain. Uh, no, but it's it's like they're a duo. You know what I mean? Basically, uh, the syndrome and what was his blonde assistant who ended up helping Mr. Incredible in the Mirage. first Mirage. Mirage. So it would. it's basically just flipping that dynamic. Like, if Mirage was the bad guy in the first one, you have that in Incredibles 2. 
So that that I felt was was underwhelming. It's the only thing in the entire film that I was not happy about. Other than that, it does everything right. Uh, it gives you so much more Jack Jack uh, with his powers, and every scene with him is a laugh riot and golden. Um, I really like what they did stylistically with it, and uh, and and I thought the story was really interesting. What was kind of cool to learn um, at the the long lead was that Brad Bird, when he wrapped up the first Incredibles uh, film, he had only like two things that he wanted to explore with the characters. And those were a kind of gender role reversal where Mrs. Incredible is is the lead hero and Mr. Incredible is taking a backseat. And then to explore the dynamic of them dealing with a baby with powers. And so th- like that is when they, when they said they wanted to do, him to do Incredibles 2, he said, okay, but this is what I've got. And they said, fine, do that. <laughs> and then that's what I did. should take. I should pause one for just a moment to say that I am fanboy. You're Alex. And we also oh, yeah. got Kyle. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Introductions. What number podcast is this? Anybody know? Uh, 6.02 temp center 23rd. Great. Um, it's been a lot. So hopefully you, uh, this isn't your first time. And if it is, <laughs> welcome. Stay tuned. Um, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed Incredible Street. What about you, Kyle? Uh, I, I don't, I haven't seen the first one in a very long time, and I remember when I saw it, I wasn't terribly impressed, but I did have a lot of fun um, with the second one. Uh, I thought it was a little slow in some places, um, but overall, I, I really enjoyed it. My wife uh, definitely enjoyed it. She was really much looking forward to it, so. Uh, um, so that was fun to see her react to it, but no, I, I thought it was fun. Um, and I probably like it more than the first, but like I said, I haven't seen it in a long time. And I thought your criticism about the villain was going to be that they totally tip off who it was going to be based on her name. What's her name? Evelyn Dever. Oh, Evelyn Evil Endeavor. Endeavor. Yeah. Uh, clever. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's a good genius to figure out who was the bad guy here. I know. But if they wanted to, they... <laughs> so I agree, I think, with both of you. I had a great time with the movies once I got over the trauma that is Bao. But I did feel like it was a little... It didn't do anything new. It felt very much like a... I, I guess, like a retread. Because I think the whole point of Incredibles 1 is there's these repressed superheroes and they, they, they get a chance to be super again and the you know the world loves them. And then it kind of still feel like... I mean, maybe I guess that's the point. It's just nothing's that easy, but, you know, it's a movie. I did leave. I'd love to see, like, an Incredibles uh, 3, because I'd love to see more of Jack-Jack, like, grow older and see so, how someone something that powerful will – how you deal with that. Like, it's almost like a cornfield kind of situation. So here's the thing that Brad Bird said at the press conference. I mean, if, I, I would assume if there's ever going to be an Incredibles 3 – that Brad Bird likely wouldn't be involved. And so here's why. Um, when he, in the like late 80s, early 90s, because he had this idea for The Incredibles long before um, Pixar and, and, and Disney, um, he wanted to do something with superheroes and, and realized that what he wanted to do was the family dynamic. 
And he specifically chose these these roles and ages um, on purpose. And so everything correlates to their powers. Mr. Incredible is, as the, the man and the father figure, is meant to be um, strong and, and invincible. The mom in, in, a relation, in a family role is supposed to be flexible and, and able to adjust. Um, a teenager is awkward and shy and just wants to be invisible and hide out from the rest of the world. Um, and so Violet goes invisible and puts up force fields. Ten-year-olds um, are energy balls, and, and nothing can tire them out. So Dash is super speed. And then babies are wild cards. You never know what's going to happen next with them. So Jack-Jack has every possible power known to man, and they just spontaneously burst out of him um, with no real rhyme or reason why. And so he said that when they when they wanted to do Incredibles 2 and, and some of the story team started discussing, well, like, do we jump forward five years? He said, no, because it's not the Incredibles if you jump forward. I have no interest in knowing who these characters are at any other time in their lives other than the time that we're in at the end of the first Incredibles. So he said, this story starts right away because I don't want anybody to age. And the only, um, I mean, obviously for the, the uh advances in computer animation they had to redesign and re-rig all of the characters but um other than kind of smoothing out some of their shapes a little bit because back then uh you know 3d rendering everything sort of had an edge somewhere so they kind of smoothed all that out but the only other physical change that they made to the characters was jack jack has an extra tooth this time around so somewhere between that film and this one a tooth grew in yeah i mean i can see that but i'd still love to see it you know, it's I, – I think – I don't know that setting it so close afterwards was the right call because part of the fun of seeing a family is seeing them grow. Yeah, and, well, one of the things I want to, I want to um, pay attention to if I see it again or when I see it again, I should say, is um, do they ever, like, reference that the Underminer has been captured? Because he just disappears after the intro – and I don't think they catch him. So as far as I'm aware, the Underminer is still out there. Well, that makes it good so that in the sequel, they don't have to recast a role for John Ratzenberger. Yeah, they just keep having the Underminer pop in every time they do an Incredibles film. Yep. You've been undermined. So I I know we might have more to say about the Incredibles, but I do want to talk about Bow a bit. Do you? Be careful. I do. I know. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I'm, I'm trying to be careful here. But... Okay. Obviously, the filmmakers behind the shorts are allowed to do more, you know, experimental personal films because they're shorts and they, you know, they don't have two hundred million dollars behind them. Um, and Bao was obviously a very personal experience for the filmmaker. Um, you know, Alex, you could probably speak to it because you met them. And when you make a personal film, you can't really put yourself in the mind of the filmmaker because you're not the filmmaker and many times with the shorts you don't even you know the filmmakers are the up-and-coming animators at pixar you don't know much about them but i can say it was a unique experience to be in a theater with you know uh, kids adults and the whole you know swath of where did i see this dublin california (laughs) um together it's a very multicultural area yeah but and and it is but the moment where Bao gets eaten caught everyone off guard, and there was there was, and I'm not saying it scarred him. I'm not saying it, or you know that even was even the wrong artistic choice, 
but it was such a turn for an animated short, or some people would call them cartoons. Um, and it was it was just weird to have a gasp at a Pixar film. We can talk well, about another movie that where there was a couple gasps when I was in the theater a little bit later, but it was just weird. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I, I, you know, it is what it is. It just that was weird to me. Yeah, and so I um, at Pixar they showed us all of Bow back in April, um, and that was we saw that after we saw, if I remember correctly, we saw that after we saw the Incredibles footage, but knowing that it was going to be before the film, and so when the ending came, I was, I mean, every all of the adult film journalists or critics or bloggers that were at Pixar for this event all were um, were shocked and there were gasps. <laughs> and um, and and I did get to actually interview director Domi Shi one on one. And I asked her about the ending because because um, so Pete Doctor is the one who approved the the short bow when when she did her pitch. Um, and for those of you who don't know it, Pixar um, once a year and they do the same thing at Disney Animation. Anybody in the studio, it doesn't matter what their discipline is. So this can be like a sound editor can go before the committee and pitch a short. And, um, you know, they look at everyone's submissions and then they pick one that they're going to move into production. And that person is typically in the directorial role of that short. So um, she's, I asked if the ending that's in the short was the same when she pitched it. And she said yes. So because I was curious just to know, like, were they were they that enamored with with the ending of the short? The ending is is really the only criticism that I have of it. I've seen a lot on Twitter and, and I'm, you know, I don't know if you can tell from my voice, I am a white male. Um, <laughs> but, you know, everyone on Twitter is, anyone who had any any um, disliking to bow, uh, Twitter instantly sort of went up with, well, you're you're white and you were born in America, this isn't for you. And bow takes place in, in Canada. Um, it's it's uh, the, the, um, lady who, who directed it, Domi Shi, she was sort of inspired by her mother, um, you know, and her mother was a first generation immigrant to Canada and was sort of trying to maintain her Chinese culture um, while living in somewhere that's so vastly different. And it was hard for her watching her kids become so assimilated into um, kind of North American culture and and sort of resisting or rejecting some of their Chinese heritage. And that's really kind of what the short embodies is is the the son that she's um, sort of fantasizing about as her little dumpling boy, um, you know, grew up and 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 wore a leather jacket and spiked his hair and and uh, wore shades and went with a blonde woman um, as his significant other in life and and it was very um, troubling to her and so you know those kinds of that's kind of the story that she wanted to tell. Um, and it, it sort of reminded me a lot of the message behind Sanjay's super team, <clears throat> which if you've never seen it, it's because it opened with the good dinosaur and you may have been smart and avoided that. But um, I would definitely recommend checking out Sanjay's super team, um, which is done differently, um, but it's still kind of a it's a story about um, 
you know, new immigrants to to a different country who um, are sort of trying to maintain their cultural heritage. Meanwhile, the child is is very much um, seduced and enamored with something more unique to that culture. In this case, it's it's a superhero TV show, and his um, grandpa is trying to get him to the altar to pray um, to their um, their Indian gods. And so then the boy realizes that there's kind of a, a, a correlation between the superhero characters that he dreams about and and these um these cultural identities and so he combines the two and it's 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 very cute and it's a lot of fun nobody gets eaten um and so you know i think i think that's the thing is just that ending is so shocking that she just grabs the little dumpling boy and shoves him in her mouth and swallows him in like three seconds after you just spent the whole entire short not really knowing what this is is this like a pinocchio kind of thing is this real um it becomes very apparent afterwards what happened and what what this was all about um and kids are smart so i never like to think that you know something is going to be that far over kids heads but there are certainly going to be some kids who don't make that connection of what just happened you know it kind of depends on their age um and so i was worried that kids would be so fixated on what happened to bow that by the time Incredibles 2 starts and it just kind of starts with a bang um they would they would be distracting other audience goers because they you know might be upset or or keep talking about bow <laughs> and not let anyone watch Incredibles um but I, I didn't see that in the screening that that I went to and I haven't heard complaints about that well I am n- not any sort of Asian I am the son of uh, an immigrant and i i get i to a point i get it right because i deal with that where my mother wishes that i had more of her culture in my life mm-hmm. um which uh is she doesn't just understand that i my only culture is the walt disney company and <laughs> and and so i mean you know i'm not saying it's you know apples and apples but you know i i that message resonates to me um, because, you know, she wishes I was interested in things that sh- she feels are part of our family's he- history and heritage. And on my dad's side, while well, he was born in America, um, his parents were not born in America. And so I would get that a little bit from my grandparents as well. And, you know, it, it, it was sort of a mixed message in that, you know, they obviously came to America and, um, you know, appreciated what this country was able to give them, but then at the same time they missed the culture of home, which I get. But I would, it, it, so it's it's not that message that I think where people, you know, where the criticism comes from, or not even criticism, where the discussion comes from, it's that she ate them, and mm-hmm. that just it's shocking. It's the shock of it. It's not what the short is about. That's you know, and I I don't want to get that con- confuddled with the conversation. Right. Well, and I think it's I mean, I think it's part of the conversation because truth be told, there's not many stories like this that are um, put in front of whole families. Right. Like this is this is the kind of story that doesn't get told much in mainstream media, period. If when you find it, it's usually an indie film or even a foreign film. Um, And so I think it's interesting that, that Pixar has done kind of now two shorts about the same similar topic. Um, but popcorn or churro, Sanjay Super Team or Bow? Well, uh, Sa- Sanjay Super Team. I mean, in that, I mean, I, I I understand the kids' perspective better than the parents' perspective. So, 
I think that was, you know, I, I the superhero part of it definitely, you know, resonated with me as opposed to being on the parent side, which this is obviously about. Um, you know, so I feel Sanjay Super Team triggered something in me that Bao just would never. And so, and I so I guess that I mean that's my answer. Yeah, I actually haven't have? seen I haven't seen Sanjay, so I can't. Because <gasps> you were smart anything. and avoided Good Dinosaur. I own Good Dinosaur by happenstance and still haven't seen it. <laughs> Good um, for you. But pop it that disc and just watch Sanjay. <laughs> I, I, I'll have to do that. And after you give your answer, I'm also curious to know what you guys think is your uh, overall least favorite Pixar short. Ah. Um, I might need to look at a list. Um, I, I prefer uh, Sanjay's Super Team as well, but I have seen Bao twice. And the second time I saw it, knowing how it was going to end, I had a lot more appreciation for it. Um, and and I, I, I feel kind of spoiled because, you know, I saw it and then I got to hear the director kind of give her her personal experience and what it means to her. And so you kind of look at it in a whole new light after that, um, you know, because you have you have somebody that you've met and talked to to connect it to. Um, so I don't I, I don't dislike Bao. I don't think, um, but it's not anywhere near uh, my top five. So I have a question about the picture shorts. Uh, yeah, how far back are I, we going? And, and are we counting um, Mater's Tall Tales and Toy Story Tunes? Cars Tunes and Toy Story Tunes? Let's say it had to play in front of a, a movie in a theater. So we're looking at Jerry's Game. Basically, Nick Knack and Up. Well, do you count? So, <clears throat> Tin Toy was with Toy Story, but it didn't debut that way. I don't and know. And Luxor Jr. How, 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 uh, what's your opinion of that short? <laughs> Tin Toy's terrible. Tin Toy's not terrible. Tin Toy's animation is terrible. Well, yes. Scary. But Tin Toy's a delightful short. Yeah. I if you can get over the square cut baby. But I, I don't think Tin Toy presented with Toy Story. It, um, According to Wikipedia, it did. It was attached to Toy Story. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. It was the oh. home release. Okay, home release. Yeah. Toy Story didn't have a short in theaters. So, right. um, but Luxo Jr. was attached with Toy Story 2, and they did the um, the uh, revised version of Nick Knack with Finding Nemo. Yeah. So I would say Nick Knack and Up, and not one that's based on a movie. Okay. Um, right? Oh, I know, I know. Uh, Kyle, it's your it's your game, but does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I don't even know why I needed to um, look this up. My favorite of all time is For the Birds. But your least favorite? Yeah, that, that was the question. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but mine, <laughs> my favorite is actually For the Birds too. I believe I have to watch a few more again, but that's the one that always comes to mind when I think of my favorite. But least favorite. Yeah, For the Birds is great. Um, I'm going to say. Oh gosh, it's I didn't realize how low I rank it. Bow actually, I it's between Bow and the Blue Umbrella. I oh, can't. Oh wow, that's surprising. It was it was Blue Umbrella, wasn't that? Was that with Disney Monsters, or Pixar? That was Pixar. Okay, I get confused with, with Paperman. That's why. And I love Paperman. Blue Umbrella. I just feel like it's it's like five minutes of just rain, and I liked it better when it was called Johnny Fedora and Alice Blue Bonnet. <laughs> Right. I'm I'm gonna have to say my least favorite is Piper. Oh. 
Piper has grown on me because of the Epcot short film festival. Yeah, I, I, will I didn't say love that, Piper originally. <laughs> I will say Piper has grown on me, um, but I don't. It's it's. I mean, I really like the short, so it's hard for me to pick a least favorite. But uh, I would have to say uh, Piper, and my favorite. I like the comedy ones. So I like like I like Presto. Yeah, Presto. I like good. Lifted. Kyle? Remember, we had a star sighting the other day. We saw Jerry from Jerry's game walking around. <laughs> uh, funny you should mention that. because Oh, Lifted, because that's my least favorite. Really? Oh, really? I, I think it's stupid. I love Presto. I don't like Lifted. I think it's dumb. Oh. Do you have a favorite? Have you ever Favorites. had a bad DMV dry, dry, uh, test? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I, I just want the bird is my favorite. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. I want. I just want to push all the buttons. It's just I like there's like a bajillion buttons. That's the most complicated control system in the world. That's also I, fun to watch that, watch that man slam into every wall. I wonder if I would have liked For the Birds a lot more if they didn't use the music as part of like every Pixar BGM. And so like I just feel like I've heard it too much. I just love that like blue dodo bird <laughs> and how he just sits there and like wants to hang out and doesn't realize they're making fun of him. It's just like, huh, huh. <laughs> As they're all squeaking about him. So good. I think for the birds also, like, you know, you you take it at face value, but it really has a lot to say about um, society. (laughs) So uh, is there anything else we want to say about Incredibles 2? Don't go see it if you have epilepsy. Oh, yeah. I didn't. We saw it like the Thursday night uh, fan event preview, like the six o'clock show, not the seven. And so it was before those notices were out, but I've seen a couple of movies since, and it's fun to see, um, you know, when you're buying your tickets. Although what's funny is I've only seen it at the ticket counter. So if you buy your ticket digitally, as probably most people do now, how do you get the memo? Um, good question. Does it warn you? Does like Fandango and MovieTickets.com and Axiom? I don't think so. I think you just have to hope that. Uh... I mean that they might put the message. They might put it on the door of the actual theater. Oh, okay. They did that for um, Last Jedi when people couldn't figure out what silence was supposed to be. Oh, I uh, love that. So, so that was the thing. Yeah, for Last Jedi, there was like a big uh, sign in the in the atrium, like near the popcorn stand, that was like, "There's an intentional moment of silence. Stop telling us." <laughs> My favorite recent theater sign was in the restrooms at the Alamo Draft House. They have um, signs over the urinals talking, telling you not to talk about Avengers Infinity War in the lobby. Oh. <laughs> First of all, Avengers Infinity Wars, you don't talk about Avengers Infinity So what's funny about, what's funny is, is that um, for the, typically for the Star Wars movies, they'll do screenings back to back to back on the studio lot, like in the course of a day. Um, in order to get everyone who wants to see it, you know, the pub, you know, the, the press and the invited guests and all those people. And as opposed to just doing it like twice over two days. And so you always have to remember as you're leaving the theater, there's a line of like 150 people that have not seen the movie. And so like, it's kind of like the lobby situation, except like, you it know, reminds you, me of, um, they're all concentrated right there. It reminds me of there's like a gag that I've seen, I think, in several shows where it's like a flashback to people getting out of the theater after Empire and <laughs> walking out and the line is around the block to see the next showing. And they're like, can you believe Darth Vader's Luke's father? 
Well, it's funny because when we went to see Last Jedi, or not Last Jedi, Force Awakens, I went with my dad. And one of the, like, 18 times I saw it, but, like, opening night. And we're walking out to the car, and he goes, so I guess Han Solo won't be in the next one. (laughs) So I'm with Doobie and my dad, and we're like, like, we just got to get to the car before someone kills us. Like, no, I don't think anyone actually heard. But then when Last Jedi came out, he's like, why didn't you invite me to go see it? And I was like, because I don't want to get killed. Um, Incredibles 2, see it, love it. Anyway. Speaking of Incredibles. So Pixar Pier. Uh, I've been and Alex has been. I feel like I have Who a lot to... Who wants to touch me? <laughs> <laughs> Not me. Um, I, I have a lot to say on this. And I just don't know where to start. So Let's start with the Incredicoaster. Start coaster. at the very beginning. So the Incredicoaster. So I guess this, this is where I got to start. Pixar Pier is the weirdest opening of anything that I can recall since I've been paying attention in 1995 with the opening of the Indiana Jones Adventure. Possibly the opening of Toontown was weirder, but... This is definitely one of the weirdest because of several reasons. One, it's essentially just overlays of a lot of different things. Two, it isn't complete, yet it's open. And three, there does it seems it seems like there was a lot that went into the decision to make Pixar appear. And when I say that, I mean Star Wars Land is obviously something you know, it could have taken many different forms, but it's something the whole organization had was behind. And they've been putting a lot of thought into it. It's going to open, and, you know, they have names, and they're working with Lucasfilm, and it all makes sense. The Marvel expansion that they've announced, it's going to be a big deal. They're putting a lot of thought into it. They've announced, you know, there's a whole team working on it. Pixar Pier seems like something that was done to fill an obligation and i don't know what i don't know the reason it was made i don't know if it was they needed something new for the summer and so pixar pier made sense i don't know if it was a make good to pixar since they're cutting down um cutting down they're tearing down bugs land and they they would have a free spinner ride yeah and i don't and it's also weird in that it's opening basically over the course of like a year and a half in that, you know, the the when you get to the Incredicoaster, it's all beautiful. But right next to it's this huge construction wall where the carousel is going to be. And you can't tell me that retheming the carousel is this big, major two-year project. So I just don't – I guess I just don't understand it. That being said, Picture Up Here is fun. It's got a, a lot – especially in the – sort of first section where you have treasures in paradise and the lamplight lounge there's just a lot of neat celebration of what pixar is and that might be my favorite part you know if you take attractions out of it um the food is the highlight of pixar pier in in just its creativity whether it's the um poultry palace from small fry or the angry dogs inspired by Inside Out or the Senior Buzz Nachos. I'm sorry, um, Senior Buzz Churros. 
you know, I mean, even just the way they themed the condiment dispensers at uh, Angry Dogs and the special churro sleeves they have, the special hot dog sleeves. They actually have the Poultry Palace, you know, for lack of a better word, Happy Meal box kind of thing. So um, to me, that's that's where their creativity is really shown. And Lamplight Lounge, it's a bit of a weird, you know, you know, is it a restaurant? Is it a gastropub? You know, it's it's both. It's but being neither at the same time. So once you get over that, but they got some neat decor in there, some really amazing things, very clever things, a lot of secrets, and um, that's a lot of fun. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. The Pixar Pal around is they rethemed the the buckets on this uh, Mickey Fun Wheel, and Mickey is still the icon, and so it just feels anachronistic. They're talking about how each bucket is paired with uh, you know the bucket that's parallel to it so buzz and woody uh, you know coco and um i'm not sorry uh, miguel and hector hector um merida and just one of her brothers or no is it all three i think it's three of her bare brothers (laughs) yeah so so you know that kind of thing but to say that that's a brand new attraction is like saying jaws on fire is a brand new attraction at universal but I really enjoyed the Incredicoaster. Now, here's the thing about the Incredicoaster. It is California Screaming with a three-thing. If this could have been considered a seasonal overlay, <laughs> you know, it's not – don't don't think this is a whole brand-new ride. But if you take the ride in and of itself, um, it's a lot of fun. You know, the way they, they have a dash kind of uh, lead you off on the ride – they finally put some show elements into those tunnels, which I've been begging for them since 2001. Um, there's some the soundtracks a lot is really neat. It's great at it's much better at night than it is during the day. You really get the lighting effects that are pretty cool. And some of the show scenes they added were fun. You know, you're not talking major audio animatronics here, um, which was a bit of a disappointment. Uh, not so much in the coaster itself because you're really going too fast to notice. But you know, as you did get dispatched and as you returned really felt like it could use a little something more um the queue is fun it has that mid-century look to it uh in the queue video they even talk about how they just slapped their name on the, on an existing ride so it it's has that like meta element that people ride were... type moment yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, it's very everybody does it darling it's called synergy <laughs> so it's fun if you know it's hard to compare I don't know if it's appropriate to compare an attraction to what was there before and say that's all you did to it because the people, you know, you should ride it like you don't know what was there before in, in kind of in a way. Um, and in that, it's a good ride. It's just, it's you know, it's not a game changer, um, which I'll talk a little bit about when we talk about Toy Story Land. But for what it is and presumably the sort of stopgap it is um, – Great. I mean, we know Disney's spending more on their parks than they ever had before. Um, you know, obviously, Star Wars Land's not going to be cheap. Marvel Land will not be cheap. And I'm not saying Pixar Pier is cheap, but compared to those two investments, this is the this is the. I mean, this isn't. It's weird. It's an overlay that they've built as a new land, right? And I don't even know if they build as. An, I don't know what they build it as. It just. I mean, they, I've like, seen that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they, they do. They... The ad campaign, the opening, like, fan event, the um, 
like all of that makes it sound like this is a brand new land like in in terms of like from a perspective paying attention to the ad campaigns and the announcements it feels like you know they've they've added a land to california adventures is the way it's it's sort of offered to you but it, it's and that's what's weird as a fan you know the build-up when you get there it, in the end there's just nothing there right they i mean outside of the Incredicoaster and the area development it's the same land and and so it's it's really hard to get it to get super excited about it now that being said they did a lot more work that they could have just done like a frozen summer kind of thing and done a show and whatnot so you know adding this in addition to pixar fest is more than what we could have gotten uh but yeah you know i kind of talked about before is that this year was not the exciting year for disney parks you know that's next year this year between disney world opening toy story land and pixar pier you're not going to get the same level of excitement you did when you get they opened up pandora or even Star, uh, mission breakout and right. and it's a bummer that they're you know it's happening the same year where there's really no marquee attraction opening quite frankly not even just domestically across the world shanghai has Toy Story Land. Disneyland Paris is getting ready to open stuff. It has half the park closed. And, um, you know, uh, Hong Kong is just starting their transformation. Uh, I don't know when the Ant-Man and the Wasp, Ant-Man and the Wasp attraction is supposed to open, but, um, you know, it's, you're not, there's just not a lot going on. But then you look at the, you know, you look at the income statement or the balance sheet and you see they're spending money. So you get excited about that, but this is it's 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 all going to come online next year. <laughs> you know, I yeah. kind of wish I kind of wished, and I don't know how it's going to turn out, but it would have been nice to have Mickey and Minnie's Magical Railway open this year, because mm-hmm. at least that's something where you know it's it's not just an outside attraction that you can see. What do you, what do you think, Alex? Well, I will say like my expectations from the announcement to the reality of it I was more impressed than I thought I was going to be um, my expectation of Incredicoaster was that it would be new onboard audio new vehicle colors, a slightly redesigned queue and um, and some projections, I was expecting projections in the tunnels I was pleasantly surprised that it was three dimensional figures um and I got to ride it twice, both times during the day, but I thought it was just really cute. I mean, uh, you know, yes, uh, Californian Screamin' was a fun coaster. I think it's still the same coaster, so it's still the same fun ride as before. I don't really get the people um, who are anti-Incredicoaster feeling like they've somehow lost something in the transition. Um, I thought Incredi- I thought uh, the California Screamin' had a really stupid music loop. Like, there was nothing appealing about that. I never got to do the Rocker in Both Parks Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> version. Maybe that was different. But um, the whole, like, do 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 was, I don't know. It didn't, uh, it didn't thrill me. Um, and that was never one of my favorites. Whereas I would now, um, on a day at California Adventure, uh, Incredicoaster is probably something I don't want to miss if I'm if I'm you know spending a good chunk of time there and and selecting you know up to eight attractions to do. 
Um, whereas before, if I if I didn't get on Grand or California Screamin', I didn't really care. Uh, Pixar Pal Around is confusing um, <laughs> because of the Mickey Mouse on the front, and and I just think it's it's kind of silly. What's weird about it is Pixar Pal Around is like at the the outskirts of what Pixar Pier is going to be. Um, Ever, they seem to there's there's a lot of confusion of like did Paradise Pier go away because it's still the Paradise Pier Hotel and they call it the Paradise Pier Gardens is that correct fanboy I think it's they call it they're switching it to Paradise Park Paradise Park well there's so Paradise Gardens whole, over because they're still the the pizza place right. yeah so they're calling like from Little Mermaid over to just before uh, Pixar Pal around if you're going that way um, that is uh, Paradise Park, um, and so it's sort of still there. Like, it's it's kind of weird, and and I feel like they could have just left that one as is. Like, Silly Symphony Swings are right next door; those aren't changing at all. Um, There's still the Route 66 bathrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's 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 uh, the the where it begins and ends is is weird. It has if you go through the. Um, the main arch and head towards Incredicoaster as your your way around. Um, so if you're going clockwise around the uh, the World of Color Lagoon, is that what that's called? Um, Paradise then, Bay. Paradise Bay. Uh, then you know you kind of see it. I think the way it was meant to be seen, and that has a nice entrance. I'm curious if they're going to make like an official like you've exited Pixar Pier because <laughs> all of a sudden it's like you go past uh, Pixar Pal around and everything's as it was and. Presumably, well, well you're gonna have the inside out thing where the Malaboomer was, but after that, right. oh, is that on the other side of Pixar Panorama? Yes, yeah, oh, okay, then never mind. Um, but right but now, no, you're I, right? So, and I didn't get to experience any of the foods directly, um, from the carts. The lines were long. I did want to try the snow cones or the, the like frozen yogurt snow cones. Is that what that is? It's like lemon, they're soft serves. Lemon yeah. soft serve with like blue slush in it. Um, that looks really yummy. Everyone was going on and on about Jack Jack's num num cookies, and Those this are was good. this was opening weekend of Incredibles too, wasn't it? Or was it the weekend after? It was just after. Incredibles just after. Too. So everybody knew that Jack Jack was all about the num num cookies, and that line was was bonkers. And I wasn't going to wait. Um, so I have an annual pass, and I will be back, and I don't need it now. Um, but the uh, the the games were really cute, and that big Pixar granite ball um, on on water that's very similar to the ball in Tomorrowland was <laughs> was a really neat feature. I thought that was really really cool, and it was just fun watching kids and and parents interact with it um, while waiting for other members of their party to finish the games. I do want to say, and this is my favorite thing, and I think this is going to change at some point. So. One of the games, it used to be Goofy's Fishing, and it was, you know, this little water river that just keeps going around, and it was little little fish. Um, and and so you'd, you'd reach in and scoop out a fish, and you'd, you'd get a different level of prize, depending on the color of a uh, sticker on the bottom. Well, they've made it La Luna, which is great, brilliant theming, and they made those things stars. But they go behind on a little conveyor belt, and they all stick because they have five, like, protrusions that catch if you have too many of them go through at once. So they all stick together and don't let any more stars pass. And so of the two people operating it, one person's job is just to keep reaching in behind it and keep them moving. 
<laughs> and it was hilarious. The other thing is the prizes. Um, so the like big prize is, uh, I think the little boy from La Luna as a plush. And then the secondary prize is kind of like a medium sized shooting star. And then for the small prize, there is five, five very similar looking <laughs> stars of different shades of yellow and faces. And one of them happens to be a crescent moon and one's a full moon. So there's like three stars that like at first glance look the same. And the cast member responsible for presenting you with your prize every single time. We waited in line about five minutes. So we watched them do this for a while. Every single time got what people asked for wrong and had to keep doing it. <laughs> and the other person who is scooping the stars through is getting so politely frustrated with them. They're like, it's the middle one, the palest yellow with the winky eye. And it was... It yeah, was, you could kind of tell there was no soft opening. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was really a, a, a magic moment for me to watch that happen. So I have a feeling if you're going to Disneyland and you're planning to play the Boardwalk games and collect some of those plushies, I recommend doing La Luna first because I think you're going to very quickly see the bottom prizes reduced to maybe one star. Um, so there's one star, there's one half moon, and there's one full moon, and that is it. Um, and I think the, the little plastic stars that go around are going to be put on little round bases so they don't bunch up because that will stop it. Because um, this is definitely a labor issue in the making. How much um, are the games now? It, like $5 a play. Is that right, fanboy? I want to say it was $4. But $4 I don't know. So, I mean, they're not inexpensive, and there were lines. There were lines to do them all. Um, even, like, the uh, they, they rethemed the water squirt gun one to Wally, and, you know, it's got eight possible players at a time, and um, I don't think I ever saw it going with less than seven. Um, the one exception is they kept the, like, uh, um, bullseye dash thing, which was the same from before, the same, so it's still the same game and it's like ski ball uh, and so that one people were less interested in because it was nothing new uh the case at the bat is now bugs life which um bugs life and wally are like my two favorite pixar films and so we got all the wally plushes but i am terrible i'm a terrible throw so is fanboy <laughs> so we did the heimlich um trying to throw candy corn bean bags in his mouth once and um failed miserably and decided uh we don't need those plushies that bad <laughs> And they, they really got up in price then, because I remember they used to be $3 a play when they were first, in their first iteration, and then when they came back with the remodeled ones, you had to buy a $5 card, but each game was two fifty. so definitely been a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, over, overall, I, I was, I was again, I was impressed with, with the theming of it. I, um... I don't know. Initially, when I when I heard the concept, the thought of like all the Pixar characters just kind of mishmashing around one spot of the park sounded a little weird. But it actually gave me more, I think, fan appreciation for Pixar as its own brand. I've always just thought of it as more of you know a studio, and um, which it is, <laughs> you know. But I mean, you think about it, the way that Disney markets their characters, Disneyland even back in 1955 was this this happy place where they all coexist and play together. And um, so now Pixar Pier is that place for those characters. They can still mix and mingle with the Disney pals elsewhere in the parks, but this is their own um, special spot. And it's, 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 it's cool. I liked it. 
I, mean, I know, Kyle, you haven't been there, but do you have any thoughts on Pixar Pier from what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I haven't been to it when it's open. <laughs> I, I went oh, <laughs> a little bit a few weeks beforehand. Um, I mean, I think basically what it comes down to is, like, California Screaming wasn't... It was a, it's a fun coaster, but it was never anything special. So I think any, even if it's disappointing, if you were expecting a grander thing, like, it still counts as an upgrade. So we'll put a plus one. And I think some of the other theming, like the the biggest sell for me of Paradise Pier was it was always just pretty. It looked nice at night. It was, you know, a nice stroll through. So none of that's really been affected. There's more food. There's some different theming. I think for me, what it comes down to is I almost wish that they just continued to call it Paradise Pier and just inserted a bunch of Pixar theming. And that might not have made sense, but it's still doesn't really make sense just because he put the word Pixar on it. So I'm sure the Imagineers could have thought of some workaround story for why all these characters are hanging out on the pier in California. But I, I kind of wish they have done had done it that way. But um, just from seeing what I've seen, I don't see any downgrades individually. But there is still a discussion of whether or not it was an upgrade overall, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, say... I, I, I agree with you because it's not, it's always, I enjoy the credit coaster more than like screaming. And which is, but it's just weird. It, the theming of it is so weird. It's just, it's almost like that's a distraction and, and, uh, a negative. But Alex? Well, I'm, ex- I'm, uh, I'm excited for the, uh, inside out theming of Flix Flyers. Um, but the one thing that's, changed that i am sort of sad to lose because i think it offered the like the most uh innocent yet not innocent laughs from adults in uh california adventure is losing king triton's carousel um for two reasons one the uh gargantuan nipples (laughs) on the mural that are gone now and number two the um the suggestive way it looks when you're riding the others (laughs) And I don't think the Critter Carousel is going to repeat those kind of unintentional gags. And I think that's sad. Because, <laughs> I mean, think think of how many, you know, it's a it's a parent and they're, they're videotaping their kid and, like, wife and kid are doing the, the carousel, but dad's videotaping or, or reverse that if you want. Um, but if one of them happens to land on an otter, that's <laughs> comedy gold. What did okay, you guys well... think of uh, Lamplight? I didn't get to like consume anything. I got to breeze through it on a tour, but I was I was impressed with the theming of it. It's 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 um it, there's elements like the staircase. You can you can obviously tell it's like okay, this was Ariel's Grotto, but um, other than that, it really looks completely different. They did a great I, job. I, I I ate there twice. Once I ate upstairs, which is just the bar menu, and then and which is fine. It's, it's, those nachos are still there. They got the cool. Um, dry ice drink which is a lot of fun what's the downstairs is just weird like it doesn't have the vibe of a restaurant the the you know the chairs are very casual it has the vibe of of uh the pixar atrium yeah but it's but like so i don't know if i'm supposed to go like is it a lounge or is it a restaurant and i maybe i'll get over it and i'll figure out what i'm supposed to eat there but like i can't imagine just like 
Well, do they take reservations? I was confused by the check-in, the the check-in process as it was explained to me. They do. They they, they do? do, but you wouldn't if you walk through that restaurant, you would think it's a doesn't take reservations. Well, because I heard <laughs> that like where you check in currently is actually like a mini bar, but that'll be where you check in. So like they're serving drinks and checking you in. No, 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 no. So that bar that bar is they needed a new desk and I guess so the desk didn't come in in time that bar is supposed to be in the office the sort of secret room so they're just temporarily using it as uh oh okay and that secret room thing like kind of made me groan a little bit you kind of make kind of like can't I help hate... but wonder why it's there huh well and I <laughs> I kind of I mean, I'm I'm the type who sort of hates the concept of, you know, it, outside of, like, a Club 33, there really shouldn't be anything that, like, is is uh, widely known about that, that your average guest will never get to experience, right? Like, doesn't that seem... Uh... But I don't know. I don't, is it your average guest? I mean, we knew about it because... Well, I guess they put it on the punch no, box. That's one right. Thing. But, it's, yeah. it's, it, it was advertised. That's my problem with it. If this was just like, oh yeah, you know, the when we have VIPs from Pixar and they want to come experience it, we want to make sure that they have the chance to to experience this. So we we built this special section. We're not really going to see guests back here. It'll be something exclusive for for our friends from Pixar when they're down here. But here it is. Let me take. Let me give you a peek and show you. Um, you know, something like that. That's one thing, but this is just like they're calling it the the office, and it's like, oh, we're randomly going to seat people back here, but you can't request it. If you request it, we tell you no. And um, like the whole the whole concept of that just seems weird. And it's like you know you have to be somebody, or it's like a year of a million million dreams kind of thing um, without the promotion that you suddenly get seated back there. And what's funny is to me, it's it's part it's. It's cool well, to get to go, in there. You have it's to cool. It's cool for the experience of walking in it, but yeah. the re- it's not as. I'd much rather be in the main dining room for that ambiance than. Well, and there's here's the other thing is so I, I grew up in Wisconsin. There is a really awesome restaurant in Milwaukee. If you're ever there, anybody who's listening, you must go to the Safe House. And the Safe House, you walk inside, and it's just a little office with lots of books. If they have it staffed, there's somebody in there, and they're asking you if you know the safe word. And if you do, they just open the the secret door and let you into the restaurant. If you don't, you have to perform some tasks. And what you don't know is the whole entire restaurant is watching you on a video um, make a fool of yourself in order to get into the restaurant. And then once you're in the restaurant, it's all like a spy lounge. And um, like martinis come in like a bank teller case and they're sent through the restaurant. So everyone watches the martini get shaken, not stirred um, before they serve it to you. Uh, There's like you can eat inside of a jail cell. There's all these like cool themed tables, but it's all open. You can wander around. Um, And then I don't know if they still have this. This is probably like uh, a Me Too movement waiting to happen. But inside one of the women's rooms, one of the three stalls is not actually a stall, but the other side of a two-way mirror that's in the hallway. And you can flip the light switch on and scare people. Um, And then there's another door-marked bathroom, and you open it up, and it leads to a brick wall. Uh, But, like, that's the kind of vibe I got when they took us back to show us the office. Because you actually go backstage. Like, you're seeing the server's lockers like where they store their personal effects while they're working to get back here and then turn a crank 
uh, to power the door, to open the door, to let you back there where, um, you know, it was just, it was just weird. I, d- I didn't like it at all. To me, it's like, if you're having a demand problem, why didn't you just use the space as another booth in the restaurant? I don't like it. I don't know why I don't like it, but I don't like it. <laughs> so Toy Story Land. <laughs> let's go. Let's go to Walt Disney World. Ooh, None of us have been there, um, <laughs> but we have friends who've been there. But I know some people. I've had edit videos. And so to me, Toy Story Lands, and this is the fourth Toy Story Land. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're 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 quick and easy. They're sort of glorified Bugs Lands, and I've been to two of them. No, I've been to, no. Let me rephrase that. I've been to one of them. I saw another one under construction. Um, and you know they're 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 what you know we used to call flat rides. You know, sort of themed carny rides. Um, but you know it's all about the theming, right? And the people who I know who have went there, they, I've heard a couple things. One is it's a lot better than you expected. That the coaster, the Slinky Dog coaster, is a lot more fun than you. It really has any right to be. And number two, there's no indoors. So if you're caught in one of those three o'clock storms in Florida, there's nowhere to go. There's no retail. There's no merchandise store. Uh, the only thing they have is the Midway Mania queue, and that's assuming it's not using an extended queue that goes outside. So th- th- that's sort of the log line. Um, I'll, you know, in a couple weeks, we'll go and we'll kind of give you our take. But I guess my little soapbox here is not everything needs to be an e-ticket. And sometimes you need to balance out the program of the park and provide simple family experiences while you also offer things like Star Wars Galaxy's Edge or Twilight Zone Tower of Terror or... Mission Breakout or, you know, any of the other big attractions that they're built or are building. So unlike – and it's hard for us to get our heads around, right? Because in a movie, if we go to a movie, scale can make something exciting, but that doesn't make it a good movie. We don't judge a movie based on its scope. We can see, you know, a Best Picture award winner that has a budget of, you know, $5 million dollars. And we say it's the best movie of the year, even when you're comparing it to a $200 million movie with all sorts of special effects and action and all that. But in the theme park, because it's experiential, scope is a lot of what we judge it by. Now, granted, you can build a $200 million attraction and it'd be terrible, but it's hard to really have a game-changing A-ticket, right? And so we... As, as theme park fans, we sort of have to get our heads around understanding where in the program this attractions are supposed to be. I don't know what other choices they had. I don't know what they could have built besides Toy Story Land. I don't know if they were going to build Cars Land and they decided to build Toy Story Land. I don't know if they were going to build a Monsters, Inc. Land and they decided to build Toy Story Land. I don't know what the other options are. I don't know what the opportunity cost was. But – when you know the amount of work going into the Disney's Hollywood Studios, you can't say they're cheaping out on that park. But this was obviously a small-scale investment to help build out the park as a way to get ready for the crowds that will be part of Star Wars Land. So I, I guess that's I, – I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts? Well, 
I mean, my thought has always been, I think from the moment that they announced Toy Story Land, is that that park needed something for um, for kids and families. Like, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to step foot in a Toy Story Land. This will be my first. And I'm, I'm looking forward. I've heard great things from, from friends about Slinky Dog. And I happen to love Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. But I have much more affinity in terms of characters for the three-eyed aliens from Toy Story. So I'm excited to experience that. Um, Do you know I, how many rides Disney's Hollywood Studios had before Toy Story Land opened? Four? Yep. And now it has six? Yep. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> great. Yeah, and that part just needs rides. Like, stop <laughs> shows. Give me rides. Um, it's a theme park. So, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I think they what they what they put out seems like a fine offering. I do find it funny that, that there is the lack of outdoor space. Um, and like this takes me back to uh, some of my project days. But when when Magic Kingdom first opened, I don't know if it, any of you know, if you look at really old photos from like 1971 and 72, you'll see pictures of the Mad Tea Party in Fantasyland with no covering because they built it like they built it in Disneyland. And then every time it would rain, the um, whole thing had to close down and water would get under the turntable and it would break down all the time because it was constantly flooding. And so very quickly they built the um, the awning over it to prevent that that problem um, with with the uh, the flying saucers. They built the awning to begin with, like they're not going to make that same mistake twice. But it is interesting to see like every other park have have lots of indoor space everywhere so that when it rains, you have somewhere to go. And then here's this whole um, section of Hollywood Studios that offers, you no shelter from the rain i'm curious if they're gonna have like pop-up poncho stands back there with like touch to pay like fast fast mobile or like you can order on the disney app order your poncho and run by and pick it up real quick but yeah it's it's a uh, that is interesting but that park needs something i've seen a lot on um twitter like a lot of negative from the fans about like, oh, it's it's so cookie cutter. It looks so cheap for something that's Disney. From the pictures, I mean, I haven't stepped foot in it, so maybe it's different from different angles. But from the pictures that I've seen, I think it looks cute. You know, it looks it looks like your childhood toys blown up. Um, like there's a, a, it looks like a, a board game piece of, of Little Bo Peep that's like solid pink and just, um, you know, uh, layered so that it, it shows her silhouette. Um, you know, and it, it instantly reminds me of toys that I used to play with and kind of takes me back to childhood. And so I think that's funny. I'm, I'm, um, I don't know why I'm really annoyed by the Insta walls now. <laughs> and so the <laughs> fact that this land has, has spawned two new Insta walls. Oh, I know the popsicle one. What's the other one? The popsicle wall and then the checkerboard wall. Uh-huh. I guess one of the walls is like, like Andy put his, or Bonnie, who's, whose backyard is it supposed to be? Andy's. Um, okay. Put up their checkerboard wall, but then there's Bonnie characters in the Midway Mania. Anyway, um, so uh, where is this type place? Um, yeah, so those are the two new walls that everyone must go get their their pick in front of their selfie because you know if you have someone take your pick, um, that would be wrong. And um, the uh, I'm curious to see what kind of treats it inspires. 
So I actually haven't been to Toy Story Land yet, either, as you mentioned. Um, I did actually just uh, submit because they're giving annual pass holders like uh, bonus early morning hour through the month of September. So we signed up for that. But um, from what Are I you going to be there? Uh, ho- yeah, I am. Cool. Going to a conference out there. So I oh, planned yeah, it for the day I, before I that. that. So cool. um, anyway, this once I get to see it, it'll be my third Toy Story land that I've uh, walked through because I've never ridden <laughs> any rides there because they didn't look any... They Well, they didn't look unfun. They just didn't look like they were for me. Uh, I think that, that this fixes that. Like I would definitely ride both of the attractions in this land. So from that aspect, um, I think it's already a step above uh, the other two that I've... Well, I think... Technically, Paris has a different, slightly different name. I think it's like Toy Story Playland or something. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. but yeah, so I, I'm, I'm excited to see it. Um, I'm not expecting much. I wish they would have done something else, but it is what it is. Speaking of Paris, um, I also just, I guess it was a couple months ago now, um, I got to go to their Fan Days event that they had, which was um, basically the idea of it was a bunch of different rare characters that you don't normally see in the parks uh, were going to be coming out. There'd be exclusive entertainment. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about it in the past, but um, I got to go and it was definitely interesting. It was a lot more like, there's a lot more to do than I realized. Like the night went by so quickly. Uh, I started at like 8 PM and ended at 2 AM. And I swear, like I just, checked my watch and it was one all of a sudden so i don't know where the time went but one thing i liked is that they what you know they've had things like this where they have long lost friends or i know that they had that um hollywood studios uh villains party that apparently had like super long lines and made everyone angry um or like um i've been to annual pass holder parties when they were doing those like renewal party things where they get you to come to an after i forgot about those yeah and one of the, the pro- renewal was, parties. Yeah, they, they did this thing. We never went because they were always during the week. But they were like three months before your annual pass was expired. They do an after hours event at the park. And they all had different themes, to, but uh, you know, to get you to themes, renew. Kind of. I mean, that seemed to be that they never said that, but it was the people that were invited were the ones whose passes were due. So it just seemed. I was like never invited. You were invited, and we just couldn't go. I didn't get an invite. Oh, because you had a Premier Pass, and it was all jacked up. <laughs> oh, Premier Pass jacks everything up. Yeah. But, uh, so anyway, at some of those events, they'd have rare characters out, and they'd swap off, but you never knew, like, when it was going to cut off, so you'd have people that were upset because they get, they, you know, they're getting close to the character they want to meet, and then they're swapping. But at this, they were not only were all of the meet and greets clear, like you had a full map and every location had the time saying, Hey, this line is for this character. That's going to be out at these times. And this line is for this character. that's going to be out this times. So it was all very clear. And what was also cool for, for, you know, annoying bloggers like us is that all of the meet and greets were all were in an accessible area. So even if you didn't want to stand in line and get a picture with the character, it was relatively easy to like stand next to the line and get a picture of the character. And sometimes even in the time it took people 
you know, in between people coming up, they would even like pose for the cameras on the side, which was really fun. Were there characters that made a debut at this? Because there were some that I question if they ever appeared in the parks prior. There was at least, I, I mean, some of them I hadn't seen. Um, a lot of them I had seen actually in the 25th anniversary thing. Like I hadn't seen um, the Big Hero 6 like heroes besides <laughs> Hero yeah. himself. Well, I think they were made, like, for the movie premiere and then never went to the parks except for that Hero. That could be it. But, yeah, so, I mean, some of those I had seen, and uh, I had never seen uh, Yaya from Three Caballeros was one of them. I'd never seen that before. Right. But the only yeah, confirmed, that was so random. The confirmed premiere was Hortensia. Okay. That's right. That's right. Yes, she was. She and Oswald were, like, the mascots for the event. Yeah, and so that was uh, one of a few different entertainment offerings. So I felt like... I didn't really know what to expect from the entertainment and kind of like we we're talking about how there was different scales. So like the, the Hortensia show was this little thing where it was like newsboys and stuff. And then uh, Oswald boys? comes in and talks about how it, how he's found the love of his life and here she comes and he sings about Hortensia and they do a little dance and stuff. Oh, that is really off character for Oswald. He was kind Would of you... a womanizer. <laughs> what does Oswald sound like? Um, well, I well I should make sure that I have a video on laughingplace.com, but or on our YouTube, but uh, I I don't I'm not gonna try to impersonate him. <laughs> but um, so I mean that was a small little show that just took place on like a little side street, um, and then similarly I we, I think a lot of people were excited for the Ducktales parade. And that was kind of disappointing. All it really was, it kind of was like a block party bash or um, move it, shake it, celebrate, whatever, where it just kind of rolls in. It's got a few different character floats and then they just did this dance number. And that's all it was. You're supposed to join in and do this, like, <laughs> this dance that gets faster. Um, so that was kind of disappointing. But then the, so then the real highlight was Max Live. So the concept, oh, yeah, this you can definitely see on our YouTube channel. I have lots of the, the different highlights. So it's Max Goof dressed up in like Powerline, and he's doing a bunch of different songs, and there's different cameos. So then at some point, like Nick and um, Judy from Zootopia come in, and they do uh, Try Everything, and then there's Stitch and Angel, and three caballeros and they also had projections up on the the tower of terror was right behind the stage so they were doing all sorts of cool projections on there the entire time but there was pyro uh bubbles water fireworks just like the, like there there was a a part at near the beginning of the show where it had kind of those like falling sparks and i swore like it took it brought me back to this concert video i watched of michael jackson back in the 90s like that it was like that level so uh that was an amazing amazing show like compared to how the other two shows were like oh you know they were small scale they're they had it created especially for this event that was like you know this big blockbuster thing that would you know run for years at any other park <laughs> and it was the people reprising their roles it was jason marsden Wow. Why the hell? Say Jason Marsden money? Wow. They don't do enough with uh, with Goofy Movie in the parks. Yeah. I, I mean, it seemed 
seemed to be a big hit and everyone that I talked to they did uh, there were some other bloggers from from America that I was hanging out with and uh, everyone was really really blown away by that and uh, in in general I thought the event um, I think people had fears about it because when they were first announcing it and like when the tickets went on sale there were some hiccups and like when I showed up that night and there's a giant line snaking around I'm like well I hope I make it in in time for the you know the thing at the start but they were on top of it they had every every line every turnstile open plus they had some cast members with uh, like mobile scanners in the middle um, getting people in so I, I thought that they did a really good job and was and then all the rides were open too so we got to ride Ratatouille with a literal zero minute wait <laughs> and normally wow. it would be like an hour and a half any other time of the day so so yeah, cool. had, a, had a good time. I look forward to more events. Um, they they keep calling it the inaugural party. They haven't announced another date for it yet, but uh, I don't know. I've seen pretty good reviews. So it, it, there's a lot of Paris is doing a lot of interesting things. You know, I, I think they know that their attraction mix might is in need of refreshment, and they're working on that. But so you know, they're doing they. Electroland has been a big hit, I think, for them. Yeah, definitely. They're doing like a little food and wine festival kind of thing. Um, They're doing a jazz festival. A jazz festival, so yeah, it's fun. The, the jazz festival the is jazz. like uh, like fan days. It's a, I think it's eight eight p.m. to one a.m. Um, oh, I didn't even mention it. it's actually at Disney, at Walt Disney Studios Park. It wasn't at uh, Disneyland Paris itself, but still good. I, I kind of gained a slight appreciation for that park having to actually spend time in it whereas you know most of the time i don't do that <laughs> for reasons and well the three caballeros being in that um that goofy movie max show with other characters from recent things was that to promote their new hit animated series in european streaming services it was it's not on european streaming services oh it's not no it's just the philippines well, those those lucky Filipinos. Yeah, yeah. Cause that's what, that was one of the first questions. When uh, so, if you don't know what we're talking about, there was a surprise <laughs> premiere of this Three Caballeros. I think it's called Legend of the Three Caballeros. That yeah. showed up on Disney Life, which is their streaming service. Twenty one episodes. Philippines. Oh, twenty one. That's more than I thought. Um, and oh, then, so then pe- people thought. Oh, maybe it's on Disney Life in the UK, and apparently it's not. It's only in the Philippines at the moment, and apparently it's also produced by Disney Interactive and not TV Animation. So it's 13 episodes, 21 minutes. Yeah, so, I mean, that was definitely the big buzz of Diz Twitter a couple weeks ago. Episode number one is called Dopa Cabana. (laughs) I've heard it's good. Dopa. Number two is Labyrinth and Repeat. Hopefully they hopefully they will be available on the upcoming Disney streaming service. I can guarantee you I'm gonna want more episodes. Number twelve is called Shangri La Di Da. <laughs> so uh, we're about to head into our Ant Man and Wasp conversation. Uh, Laughing Place's coverage of Ant Man and Wasp is brought to you by Hyundai. Yes, Hyundai. And, uh, and he's serious. Not gonna we do a lot of fake bits, but <laughs> yeah, I am serious. Siri thought um, I said her name for some reason. I said serious. <laughs> and that, that's what it is. Oh, Siri. Um, so we saw the movie. 
uh, it's came out after Avengers Infinity War. Totally not different at all. <laughs> just like... <laughs> we'll start spoiler-free, and then we'll do spoilers yeah. at the end, since this one's a little newer. Yeah, so I really enjoyed it. I... I mean, I love. I fell in love with Peyton Reed when he was doing the promotion for the first movie, and so I liked Ant Man, but I really had a good time at Ant Man and the Wasp. I don't know. You know, I mean, I guess so. Avengers: Infinity War. I don't know if it's just the way I saw it. Obviously, I had a great time, but it's heavy, and this is a little bit like a palate cleanser, like a little breather in the whole sort of. Marvel Cinematic Universe, because even Black Panther, you know, had some major themes in it. This was just fun, and but fun with heart. You know, Ant Man's really the only Marvel hero that has a family. Um, so, okay, it, it, well, good point. Marvel hero that people care about who Burn. has a family. <laughs> and did you hear about? Did you hear about the the Reddit? Where like called Thanos is right, where they banned half the people. Yeah, and they wouldn't let they wouldn't let Jeremy Jeremy Renner join because he's not in the movie. <laughs> um. So, I it was just I mean it it played up some of the yeah some callbacks to the first movie. You know they got to play a lot more with the size, both shrinking and growing. Um. I've heard some criticism about the villain, but this this is not a movie about the villain. What's the difference? I don't know. Would you really say that there a, a villain has purely devious uh, intentions, where I think an antagonist is just a foil for the protagonist uh, for whatever reason, but isn't necessarily like purely bad? Okay, fair enough. The antagonist, um, yeah, but it, it was in, it, it at least it made for a good plot device in terms of the action scenes and everything. So I really had a good time and I went to see it again because I wanted to see people's reaction to certain moments that we'll talk about in a little bit. <laughs> but Alex, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, I, I would say a, a second to guardians, Ant-Man is kind of like the, the funniest, quirkiest of the Marvel movies and Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think, uh, you know, continues that, that theme, which is why I really buy into it. The other thing is I love Michelle Pfeiffer and, um, she was recently in midnight on the or, or murder on the or, murder on the Orient Express. Sorry. Um, but it's so great to see her in another like superhero film. And what's funny is like half her part is is that trend where where they de-age them and, and make them look like their young selves for which I gotta say years. they did a very good job on this movie. They, yeah, it, like nothing looked on unca- that you you didn't have any uncanny valley moments like you did with young RDJ in uh, Civil War. But no, I mean that was that was really my point. I did review the um, the soundtrack and there's a couple of tracks on that where i think the themes that i was i was picking up on were more written for moth but um at times they sounded like the uh same uh, or i'm sorry uh ghost okay yeah. ghost moth whatever <laughs> <laughs> the little bad she's all white and weird like a moth um they should have called her moth anyway <laughs> 
the uh but the, the music sort of sounded like uh the danny elfman catwoman theme where it's like kind of squeaky violins and um and so even that there were there were several times where i sort of got flashes back to batman returns which is my favorite batman movie minus batman 1966 uh Kyle. so i realized that there's been two movies that i've two Marvel movies that I haven't seen in theaters, including like, you know, catching up during marathons. And that's Iron Man 3 and Ant-Man. I don't know why we slept on Ant-Man because we've loved all the other movies, but we finally saw it on when it came on DVD and loved it. We watch it whenever it's on cable, which is pretty often these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were really excited to go see this and it didn't disappoint. Um, I, my favorite part was when Michael Pena starts launching into one of his long um, expl- explanations and <laughs> pe- all the actors reenacting what he's saying. I, I was so excited that they brought that bit back. At the junket, they talked about that and how hard that was for the other actors because he has a weird cadence when he does that bit. And so it took him a while to kind of get into that rhythm so that their mouths would match. Yeah, I could imagine, but it it's always funny. I I'd liked. There's a certain point in the movie where I was like, "Oh, hey, wait a minute, we're due for a for a Stan Lee cameo." <laughs> I think it's because Michael Douglas with the hat and stuff when he's um, dressed as a security guard looked kind of like Stan Lee, so I thought they were gonna do yeah. a bit there. Um, but I thought it was a good good Stan Lee cameo, funny line. And, um, yeah, definitely just... I hope he was able to make his court appointment. Yeah, it's a fun movie. I don't... There's not a lot to say about that uh, until we get into the spoiler territory. I did like his his daughter. Uh, I know you got a chance to interview her. And, but yeah, I know I definitely thought she had a, a... I don't know if it was a larger role this time, but I thought it was better she's obviously grown up a little bit and yeah. she kind of had her own personality besides being a cute little kid who likes her dad <laughs> yeah and i mean she kind of it was kind of neat to see the parallels between her wasp you know paul rudd uh, you know hank pym and scott lang and you know the family dynamic i think was a lot of fun and you know in the, in the comics cassie grows up to be a superhero so it'd be kind of neat to see see you know I'm not saying, you know, I expect her to wait around for 20 years, but, you know, see her continue to grow up throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, the trend has been to sort of make trilogies and end it, but I'd like to see her to find a way to kind of be involved because she just brings a little bit of youthful energy to the whole sort of exercise. You know, she's also in this one commercial, I think it's for COPD, and she asked her grandpa why he's always huffing and puffing. (laughs) That's the Ant-Man girl. I, I I liked Evangeline Lilly in the first one, um, but I think seeing her step into the the hero role as Wasp was really fun too. Um, I think she's a really great character. I wouldn't. I actually wouldn't mind seeing like a Wasp spinoff film. The movie I want to see is I want to see a Michael Douglas Michelle Pfeiffer de-aged superhero period piece. The you can bring back Kelly Will. Yeah, you could bring back Kelly Atwell. Yeah, you could have. Um, uh, what's his face is Howard Stark. Like I would love to see like a whatever would that would be seventies eighties, um, Ant Man movie. That would be cool. So spoilers. 
Yeah, so we got nothing else to talk about. So if you don't want to hear spoilers, just see you next time. Goodbye. Uh, um, have a magical day about half so of all of us. You guys saw the mid credit scene coming, right? I did. So I, I mean, yeah. back I think when we were talking about Infinity War and how Ant Man and the Wasp is the end of Phase Three. Um, my original assumption was that Ant-Man and the Wasp was like going to take place during the events of Infinity War and like what happens at the end of Infinity War was going to be a big plot point for this, which I would say for that post-credit tag it was, but I was expecting it earlier when I thought it was going to happen was when, um, Hank Pym goes subatomic to try and, and, um, get Michelle Pfeiffer back and while he's there and he loses connection, I thought that was the moment when, like, it was going to cut to, like, giant Ant-Man disintegrating or something like that. That would have <laughs> been fun, right? If it was giant Ant-Man and then he, he did the, the Ash yeah, disintegration. But it was, I, I mean, I... It would have made for a what, terrible standalone film. Yeah, exactly. And... I get why they didn't do it. I saw, I mean, I knew this, like, I saw the big credit scene happen. Like, I mean, when, once they started, like, oh, so this is what's going to happen, right? Like, it doesn't take a genius to figure out. Yeah. But I loved how they did it. And it still kind of gave, even though you knew it was coming, mm-hmm. kind of like when Han Solo died. Like, if you're paying attention, you know it's ha- coming. But when it actually happens, it's it's done in a way that I thought was exciting. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, like, my I I know that, my wife knew something that it was going to happen and she still like had her hands over her mouth when it did. I think maybe because she wasn't expecting it to be all three of them. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about that cause it really seems like the 50% airs on the side of like superheroes. Like, yeah. cause you had, you know, you didn't have just Nick Fury. You just didn't have Maria Hill. You had both of them. You didn't just have, you, you had all three ant people. I have a question. Ant man. Does yes. the recent um, uh, Nicolas Cage left behind cinematic universe exist within Avengers Infinity War? I'm going to pretend like I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Because um, once you said Nick Cage and didn't follow it up with National Treasure, I stopped paying attention. Um, it's also weird how like certain people disappear right away and other ones, like they got a little bit more time. Like Nick Fury had enough time to like push people out of the way and grab his pager. Whereas all three of them just like look like they blew up. Peter Parker had enough time to uh, make everyone cry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, the one thing, so there was two moments that I was waiting just to hear the audience reaction, because you know, as as much as you you might not realize, the seeing it with a bunch of press is probably not the biggest best way to see a Marvel movie for the first time. But it was it was that moment, and the people freaked out in my movie theater. But then also when it said Ant Man. And the wasp will return, and the mm. period changed to a question mark. People, I, I, I've never actually seen the thing that you see in comedy sketches where like the popcorn starts flying up until this. So <laughs> I don't know why they didn't eat the popcorn during the movie, but like there was, was there, there was that people lost their minds over a question mark. I know people were upset that the end, end, end credit scene. I guess like that shot of the the ant with the drums was in the trailer, but I actually thought it was interesting not only for if you stuck around for the question mark, but I also like having the TVs with the emergency broadcast system and stuff. I thought was yeah interesting. Yeah, it it kind of makes you wonder like I mean if half the people I mean just what that would be 
you know, it's not like Apocalypse where everyone's gone and you're trying to be on your own. There's still enough people to have, you know, to know what's happening, yet not in, you know, the whole world would, you know, planes falling out of the sky and all that stuff. So. Yeah. I know. I just thought it was an interesting juxtaposition. And so I think I appreciated the, the, that last scene more than a lot of other people. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I thought it was perfect because it was, it brought back the fun of the moment while still sort of tying it into the Infinity War bit. And, you know, you're not going to have another game-changing moment after that. That Infinity War was the last plot moment you were going to have. You know, you don't go anywhere after that. I did see um, this one video that kind of pokes fun at some of the plot holes and stuff in the movie. And they pointed out that the... Um, so the mid credit scene obviously takes place at some time later because they have like a smaller uh, machine and everything that they had to build. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would mean that Scott actually wasn't on house arrest at the time of the infinity war. Like they said, yeah, I, I get it, but I also don't know that they would like have the full, like Scott Lang day to day update thing going on, but I don't know. <laughs> Cause I mean, I'm guessing that, the Pims are still sort of persona non grata, right? Yeah, that's true. Did you see um, Peyton Reed's thing with the uh, Honest Trailers? No. Did, like, a commentary on the Honest Trailer for the first one. That's pretty interesting, if you get a chance. Oh, that sounds interesting. Talked about how... Talked a little bit about the whole Edgar Wright thing and like what was in the script when he took over, and then also just how he was very aware <laughs> that some of the plot points in the first Ant-Man are very similar to the plot points in the first Iron Man and what, how he was trying to get around that and <laughs> trying to distract <laughs> you from noticing. Oh, sounds good. Yeah. Check that out. Peyton Reed is probably on my list of people I'd love to interview. Cause he seems like he's honest in his interviews and accessible. And I'd love to ask him about Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Did he direct Honey, I Shrunk the Audience? Parts of it. Wow. But if you ask him, you're like, can I ask you a question? But like, bring it on. Did he direct Bring It On? Yes, he did. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know him. He he also directed like the TV Love Bug movie. Oh, I loved that. So like, rodents or not rodents? Uh, bugs take place on a lot of his work. He did say, oh, that's another. Sorry, that's actually something else he mentioned in the in the Honest Trailers thing is that they were actually trying to get Rick Moranis to cameo in the first Ant-Man. Oh, that would have been awesome. Has he officially come out of retirement, or did he say he's only doing it for Ghostbusters? He's he's not in Ghostbusters. Rick Moranis? Ghostbusters, I mean, what do you mean? Rick Moranis is in Ghostbusters 2. Right. And, like, he's retired from acting. Right. But I believe he told he said in an interview that if they ever wanted to like re reboot Ghostbusters with the original team, that he would come out of retirement for it. Gotcha. I know he's doing this SCTV thing, but yeah, well, what I heard is that he he wasn't like officially retired. He just didn't feel the need to do anything. Like he didn't make a decision as much as he just sort of stopped doing things because he was taking care of his kids. Okay. Because his wife died. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, so so I think uh, it was like one of those things he was trying to scale back because, you know, he was a single dad and then, you know, just became a retirement. And, you know, when you have Rick Moranis money, 
You don't need to really work again. I wish I had Rick Moran's movie. I'm curious to see. I feel like the Honey franchise is ripe for a reboot. <laughs> like in something like it just screams streaming service to me. <laughs> so you're not alone. So, you know, who knows what will happen? Mm-hmm. Do a cameo or something. But yeah, he that would have been so fun. He should so be. He, he, oh, he was in than, the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. He was the key master or something. Yeah. Right? When someone asks if you're a god, you say yes. So uh, before we wrap up, anything anyone wants to talk about? Well, Shout Factory is releasing the complete series of Gravity Falls at the end of this month. Um, it's a seven-disc Blu-ray set. It has hours and hours of bonus features, audio commentaries on every episode. If you ever wanted to know what the process is like to both pitch to Disney Channel and produce a series for them. Alex Hirsch is um, very honest and open about it, not in a negative way at all, but it's just interesting to hear kind of the specifics of what Disney Channel requires or restricts. So they talk a little bit about like what the Disney Channel censors denied them to be able to do and then how like later they didn't deny when they slipped the same thing through um so that is all uh uh fun to listen to the um the other cool thing is if you're if you're a fan of any any show that's ever been on disney channel i would recommend supporting this whether you've seen gravity falls or not it is a spectacular show um but i know like when we posted the 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 review of it that just went out um somebody responded back uh saying like why can't they do this with kim possible uh why haven't they done done all these other shows uh phineas and ferb is another one that's a popular fan request and um alex hirsch had actually tweeted out and said the, the creator of gravity falls said, like, you should support this release if you want to see Disney um, do this kind of thing again in the future. It's the first time Disney Channel has outsourced to Shout Factory to release a complete series set like this. And they really went all out with with the bonus features and the level of care um, with the the presentation of the episode. So um, I think it's cool that, that this is happening in 2018 when streaming is is kind of overtaking home media releases, um, but I definitely recommend supporting the Gravity Falls uh, Blu-ray set if you're at all interested in seeing things like Kim Possible or um, uh, Phineas and Ferb come to Blu-ray. Oh, and, and speaking of Kim Possible and going back to Kyle's fan days, I guess Kim and Ron were doing character meet and greets in Epcot the other day. Does anybody know what that was about? I don't know what it's about, but I know that they were there. They were doing meet and greets? Yeah, yeah like they had Kim and Ron Despite the fact that their mobile game is gone, <laughs> uh, uh, their World Showcase adventure, um, out in World Showcase to do meet and greets. And those are face characters. I wonder if it was a training for like when they have the movie to do some promotional thing. I don't know, but like the, the um, social media lost their minds over it. And I honestly think a fan days type event uh, at Disney World would be huge so i yeah that's all i got kyle um i just want to wish a happy 63rd birthday to disneyland because that'll probably be around the time you're hearing this so (laughs) thanks for being special anyway uh thanks so much for joining us uh we look forward to sharing all the goings on of comic-con uh there's obviously there's a lot from the business side that's going down that we're going to have plenty to talk about. Um, we sort of aren't talking about it now because it's changing minute by minute and 
we could record this and by the time it airs, it's completely different. So, but at some point, all of this will get straightened out and we will have answers for you about what the future of the Walt Disney Company is going to be. But until then, uh, have a great day and uh, enjoy Pixar Pier and Toy Story Land.